thinking about what it means to experience the joyful reality of God, even in the midst of difficulty or situations we would have preferred not to find ourselves in. We've been really talking about this as a series that is designed to lead us into the celebration of life at Easter time. We're talking about the cross. So much of what Jesus talked about was about life. He said, ultimately, that he had come to give us his life so that we might live. And uh, we were thinking more and more about that as we move each week closer to that Easter celebration time. We think about the love of God that would not quit on us. And yet, as it was already mentioned, this whole idea of how to live, you know, I mean, we can't change the past. Um, maybe some of us wish we could. I know there are probably things that all of us wish we could do differently, but the past is finished. It can't be changed. Um, we can own some things, maybe. God may call us to do that. That there may be no way to move forward into the, into the future without some ownership of the past. And yet, at the same token, we know we can't live in the past. Life for God must be lived not even in the future. We have a future. The Lord has talked about what he, he wants to give us beyond this life. But between now and then, we have a life to live. And you know, one of the big issues for, for me, for us, is to challenge ourselves to live increasingly in ways that are honoring to God. It means it's going to affect the way we live and love and, and when we, the choices we make. So I want to talk about that in the time that we have left here, just these few minutes, as we look back in the scripture. Uh, I'm going to pray, ask God to bless our time, but more than that, to speak to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would, as, as a, just, you know, I, I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. I mean, break down any barriers, break down the resistance, Lord, that we might have towards you, Lord. And, and you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the things that we're struggling with. You know the weight that we're carrying. You know the things that make us just uh, overjoyed. And you know the things that maybe we brought into this house that were weighing us down pretty heavy. And maybe some of them are connected to things that we can't control in our future. We've learned a lot about that in these past weeks, about how much really we can't control. But one thing we know is that you've promised to be not only our Savior, if we would have you. Wow but our friend, and you want to teach us, you want to train us, you want to give us the ability and the capacity to live a life that is increasingly filled with your goodness and grace, so that the effect that we have on other people, whether they're the people we work with, Lord, or the people we live with, our friendships, our family, that we would increasingly, Lord, be healthier, growing versions of what you really desire for us to be. And I just pray for an enlargement of your word and purpose in our lives because of the time that we're sharing, Lord. Pray that it just be more than just something we want to get through to do the right thing. I pray that we would have an interaction with you, Lord. Give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, life as we know it from Philippians 1, we, we opened up last week by talking about a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. The letters of Paul are known as the epistles. They're found in the New Testament. After the Gospels and Acts, Romans, you start getting into the letters, these letters of Paul that were written to churches. Early, in the early church, there were a lot of little churches that were planted by the Apostle Paul. Many of the letters were sent specifically for the purpose of encouraging or teaching the churches that were planted. Philippi was a city where, if you read Act, the book of Acts, you see that there was this remarkable, we talked about it last week, remarkable opening up 
of a, of a group of people to form a church in this very significant city of the ancient world that was kind of a gateway city to the Roman Empire called Philippi. And we talked about how that it was actually founded in a really miraculous way because not only was it the result of a dream that Paul had to go there, but there was a woman named Lydia who was a businesswoman who you know, really opened up her heart and it says she and her entire household came to, to receive Christ, to accept him as a savior of their life. And there was this beginning movement of a church. This is the church that Paul is writing to, the church at Philippi. The, the interesting thing is where he's writing from is a place of confinement. He's locked up. He's shackled. It's pretty clear. He's got chains on him. He's get, awaiting a trial to uh, talk about, he says, the testimony that God gave him to share with the crazy madman Nero, and who's, he's going to ultimately end up being killed. But he's awaiting this trial, and as he's in this place of confinement, in this under house arrest, um, he writes letters because he can't travel, he can't get there, but he can send words. And we are the recipients and the beneficiaries of those letters. And so as we look at this, this portion of Scripture, we need to remember it was written by a man who was chained, who was confined, who was not free. And he's writing to a group of young believers who are now moving forward in their faith with God. And he's encouraging them. And in a way, he's encouraging all of us. So let's look at it together. Philippians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, that is, servants of the Lord, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. I'm writing to all the believers, he says. Saints were, was an often interchangeable term with believers and followers of the Lord who are in Philippi. He says, and including your leaders, the bishops and the deacons. He says, grace to you. That is his, and grace to you and peace. I mean, what a, that's his opening salutation, his blessing. His opening movement is to say, may God's grace rest over your life. May you know his goodness. May you know his love. May you know how much he cares deeply about you. May his grace rest upon your life. And may his peace fill you. May it cover you. May it give you wholeness in your life. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in a very tender way. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And he gets, he can really feel the, this tough apostle's heart is really soft towards these people because he has a deep affection for them. He appreciates them. And he says, you know, every time I think about you, I mean, something of joy moves in my heart. In fact, he says, every time I think about you, he says, I, I, I pray for you. Look what he says. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for, for you all with joy. It's not a hard thing for me to do. Because when I think about you and when I pray for you, it's easy for me to ask God's blessing over your life. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's basically saying, do you realize what a blessing you have been to me? I've watched you grow. I've watched you come, many of you, when you, this church just began. And now I see what you are. I see the maturity. I see the growth. I see the expansion of your soul. And it delights me deeply. Just thinking about it makes me happy. He goes on to say, and one more thing. He says, just as God began this thing, and it was him, he who began it, he says, guess what? Don't ever forget that God started it. God will also keep it going, even if I'm gone. Be confident of this one thing. Look at this, this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He will not abandon you. Ultimately, he's saying, it's not even dependent on me. God's with you. And he says, just as it is right for me to think this of you, I'll look at verse 7, because I have you in my heart. I care deeply for you, and inasmuch as both in my chains, remember, he's, in, he's not free, he's chained to a guard, 
And in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me with grace. In other words, I'm about to go and testify on behalf of the Lord in the places that I've always dreamed of sharing the good news. I want to go into these places of power. No matter what happens, I believe it is God's will for me to do it. And I look forward to the opportunity to deliver my heart, to spread this message. He says, and you know what? Wherever I go, you go with me. Because your prayers have been with me. Your support has been with me. Your friendship, your loyalty, your love. I have never doubted you. You've always been there. And what a joy it is for me to write this letter to you right now. Look what he says. He says, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean, I wish I could be with you. I cannot do it. He says, but what I can do is I can pray for you. In fact, here is my prayer for you. And this is what follows, verses 9 through 11. Let's look at it quickly. And this I pray. And in a way, it's a prayer for all of us. I pray, and then we're just going to kind of take this prayer quickly, just look at it in pieces. This is what I pray. I pray, number one, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. So the first thing that he prays for is for what? Their love to abound, their love to overflow, their uh, love for God, their love for one another. Uh, he prays that the love of God would be preeminent in their lives and in their relationships, that there would be this sense of overflowing of God's reality, that you would never forget how much you are loved and how much God wants his love to flow into your life. Because when you're loved, you can go through anything. And it's like he's saying, don't ever forget. I pray, I pray. And in a way, his, his, when he says, I pray that your love would overflow and abound, he's almost praying like, I pray that your relationship with God would be everything that it was meant to be. I pray that it would be intimate, tender, pure, just filled with the reality of God, that your heart would be soft, that you would be in love with God. I pray that your love would abound. And you know what? That's a great prayer. I mean, we could pray that for one another. Because at the end of the day, if we have love for God, I mean, really, we know how to receive his love. We can go through anything, anything. He says, I pray that, number one, your love may abound. But he says also, look what he else he prays. He prays that it would abound. But it also, he, he makes it pretty clear. He qualifies it. But even more and more in discernment and knowledge, right? So what he's saying is that I pray that yours would also not just be a feeling-dominated kind of love, but that it would be a kind of love that also is, is showing up in just knowledge of, in knowledge of who God is, a deepening of your walk with him, discernment, your ability to, to see things in nuanced ways, um, your ability to uh, look below the surface of things. In other words, it's not some um, tinny, uh, surface-driven, easy kind of thing, that feeling-dominated thing. He's saying, I pray that there would be a deep root system to your love for God, and I pray that there would come something of the wisdom of God that would begin to show up in your life in amazing ways, that, this, that it would affect the relationships that we have and, and, and affect our ability to see what's really going on when otherwise we would have missed. I pray that you would have a love that is mature and growing, discerning, seeing things, that you would have eyes to see, there would be a tenderness, an, an awareness, um, an ability to love with intelligence and thoughtfulness and wisdom, that you'd be problem solvers, that you'd be creative people, that you'd be people who appropriate the love of God in ways that show up in the everydayness of our lives. Look what he goes on to say. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. And thirdly, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that your love would just not be a reckless, random thing, but that it would actually set a priority of loving the things that are most important to God, you got to remember, Paul is saying, in other words, what he's implying is love, when it's at its best, doesn't close his eyes to things that are clearly unhealthy and wrong. 
that is not afraid to confront things and to be honest and real and truthful. In fact, sometimes the most unloving thing we can do is say nothing. That there are, <laughs> the other thing is that you're going to remember that simply going along just to go along is not always what, what love really is, not at least the Christian love. And more than that, you've got to remember that Paul's writing to a group of people who are beginning to follow Jesus in a, in a Greco-Roman culture that is extraordinarily morally ambiguous. So he's contending for them to honor God with their lives and to love the things that are excellent, that are true, that are best. And then he goes on to say this, that you may love the things that are improve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense. That's the fourth thing, that we may be sincere and without offense. The idea of sincerity, um, he po focuses the prayer back onto their heart. Okay, this is what would happen. In their day, the word, by the way, sincere in this verse means um, to judge with sunshine. It has two, two meanings, this word, that, as it was used. One of these ideas, and it carries with it the idea of sincere. In other words, if you were to be in a marketplace and you were buying something, but it was in the corner, kind of tucked away there, and it was in a darkened place, and you couldn't really see it. You looked good. It was kind of looked like it was great. You would take it out, and you would hold it up into the sunshine to make sure that it was indeed what you thought it was. You want to see what the condition was. The other idea of this word sincere means literally without wax. Because in Paul's day, in the marketplace, merchandise would be sold, but sometimes it would be damaged. But what a crafty, <laughs> a crafty person might do is they might, in a very subtle way, seal it up with wax. And unless it was actually held up and examined in the light, it, would, it, it could pass. And later on, as damaged goods, and, and of course, well, you bought it, you saw it, you knew what you were buying. So Paul says, you know what? I pray that your love and your life may be sincere. I pray that you would be a people who live in the sunshine, that there would be no dark corners of your life. He says, I, I pray that, that we would be, listen, the authentic version of who God meant us to be unashamed, not living in duplicity or duality, but aligned. And I'm, I'm throwing out words there for me, congruent. This idea of not being a hypocrite. The idea that, that we are, that when we are show, when it is in the light, that, that, you know, it's not perfect. We're not pretending it's perfect. But it is what it, it is, the real deal. It's an honest version. It's authentic. It's, we're not, we're not, we're not we're, we have flaws, we have imperfections, there's no question about that. But what he's saying is, I pray for you that what you say you believe and what you say you've given your heart to would show up in the everydayness of your life when pressure is applied, when it's actually examined. That's how I want you to live in this. I pray that your faith would grow in such a way that it affects the life that is lived, that we can be a sunshine people, we can hold up. That, and so here's the deal. God, there's stuff that sometimes God wants to get at because he wants us to live as real people who are genuine and, you know, we're not perfect, but we're growing. We're getting better. We're not pretending there's not a problem when there's a problem. We're exposing things that are hiding out in the dark places and bringing them to light so we can get better. You see what I'm saying? This is the, one of the things that he's praying for. He says, because you know why? And here's the next thing. He says, because I want you to have a life that is fruitful. Basically, he's talking about the fact that you would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Interesting phrase, one we wouldn't use a lot today. He's thinking about a tree, a tree that gives forth fruit. He's saying, I pray that the effect of your life, the product of your life, the uh, revealing of your life, the influence of our lives 
would be that that speaks of righteousness. Righteousness, the, what is right in God's eyes. That it would show up and be a blessing to people. That it would ultimately be done also, and here's the last thing, so that people might be able to see that this is for, for God's reality. Look at this. He says, so that you would be able to, what, glorify and praise God with your life. Here's the deal. Stay with me. Jesus said, let your light so shine before people, before men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That, because of the way we live, not perfectly, certainly, not incapable of hurting, certainly, we've all... <laughs> No, we're not pretending, but that increasingly something of the goodness of God would show up in our lives so that people would be irresistibly drawn to his reality. Because remember this, many people are going to form their opinions of Jesus based upon the lives that are being lived by those who claim to know and represent him. And I pray that God would help us to be a growing version a, that there would be a life flow in, our, in us that would cause others to be able to say, something's there that draws me to God. Now, that's a goal. That's not self-righteous. That's a desire. If we love God, we're going to love people. If we love people, we're going to think about the way we're living, and we want to be open to making a difference for the Lord in the circles of our lives. So I say, I do. I believe that. So you know why that's important? Because we need to remember God cares about the quality of our life, but he defines quality in a different way. He's talking about who we really are. And you can't always tell how we're doing comparing ourselves to somebody else. We don't know. All of us, some of us are, I'm going to tell you, I've seen some amazing things the Lord is doing in people's lives. I mean, amazing transformation stuff. Some of it's just little. Some of it's just like, Wow, a new creature, you know? This is new God. I mean, oh, I mean, this is stunning, stunning. And one of the things, I was talking about this with someone after service on Saturday evening. I was just amazed at all the different people who are coming together, all the different backgrounds and different ethnic backgrounds and different socioeconomic places that many of us, and there was this common love for the Lord and this desire to want to grow with God. And we were coming together. We're not perfect people. But there was something of God's reality present among us. I thought, Lord, help, help me to be also contending for that as well. We never stop growing. In fact, I put this quotation in your hand out there from Gordon McDonald, which is a great book for those of us who maybe are approaching the middle sections of our lives. Because um, he says, I failed in certain working relationships. I failed to live up to an intellectual standard I once set for myself. Thus far, actually, he says, in a very candid moment, I feel as if I have failed to achieve the level of spiritual maturity. I believe it is actually right for a man of my age. But then what was so redemptive about this? He says, but you know what? I will not permit these failures to stop me from a continuing reach to grow and overcome the limitations my failures have disclosed. In fact, if anything, you know what? I'm not going to be defined by what I'm not doing. I'm going to focus on where God wants to take me. I'm going to keep getting better, and I'm going to keep growing. I may not get it right every time, but I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to be open to God. I'm going to be open to what he wants to work out of me. I want to be open to what he wants to work in me. I want to be a listening, open person for the God. So let's talk about how life shows up. Let's talk about in the minutes that we have left, based upon this, how life is going to show up for us. Now, this is just part of this is just how it hit me. One of the things that's going to show up in is going to show up in our joy. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. I think a lot of times that um, 
our overall attitude is what's really is, is the issue. And certainly, followers of the Lord are called to live in the joy of God. But we will always have reasons not to be joyful. Um, we will have reasons to be dismayed. Let's just be real. I mean, all of us, there's not, I doubt there is one person among us here that has not something that we are carrying that is hard. And it might have to do with a relationship. It might have to do with something that we wish were, we had and we don't have. It might have to do with something in our past. It might have to do with the future, our finances. It might have to do with employment issues. It might have, a lot of times the hardest things of all to carry are people stuff and relational breakdowns. And it's, or we might be struggling with our own issues inside of our life that we don't want to be a, a, a person who's got a secret thing going on. We feel the call to live in the light, but we're struggling. We're struggling. And I'm saying is that the Lord wants us to, to fill us with his joy. Yeah, I am saying that. I'm saying that God, listen, where was this letter written? <laughs> this prayer was given from a man who was, had a chain on his hand in a confined place. We are the beneficiaries of someone who was stuck in confinement. And he's blessing us. He, you know what else I noticed here is that a lot of times we, there are songs that God gives us to sing in the prison places of life that are unlike any other song that he would have for us to sing. And it's a life song. But it's in the prison places of life, the places where we wish it wasn't so. But it is. It is. And since we're there, how can I know your joy? I think joy is found, you know, here's a cliche, but joy is found by staying close to Jesus. And what I'm saying is that it sh by the, if we can stay close to the Lord, stay in love with God, ultimately, our happiness depends a lot of times on what happens to us. But there is a joy that God will send in the prison places of life that is the only way to describe it is he sent it our way. And I don't know why, but it fills my soul. And there are moments where if we walk with the Lord, we will know his joy. And it will show up for us. So not only living close to his joy, but secondly, living without a degree of pretense. That is living with honesty, living with sincerity, living with genuineness and transparency. What am I trying to get at here? Paul, again, just stay with Paul was talking about what? He he says, live as people in the light. Live, live authentically. Live transparently. Don't live secretly. Don't live disconnected. It's, so a lot of times we struggle here. We, um, we don't all, we're not always, <laughs> you know, there are times where it's hard for us to, to really be open. I was, I, I put, the second quotation I put in there, I just loved it because it's from Dallas Willard, and he's talking about our tendency to, He's challenging us to be real people, but he's talking about this tendency on our part to hide ourselves, as adults especially. Look what he says. He says, interestingly enough, growing up is largely a matter of trying to hide our spirit behind our face, our eyes, and our language so that we can evade and manage to achieve what we want and avoid what we fear. So he's saying we're good at putting up safeguards. He says, by contrast, a child's face is a constant epiphany, an awakening, a revealing because it doesn't yet know how to do this hiding stuff. And if you think about it, kids are so amazing, right? I mean, you, when I'm, now it's harder to do in my family, right? But when they were little, I could look at their face, and I knew 
It didn't even matter if it was, did you do, did you do that? Well, I could see it, right? I could see it. You could see it because the fa- they hadn't learned how to manage their face. And you could see, and I could see it when it was, and that's also true in, of, of when they were really filled with joy over things that I wasn't even noticing. But it was really, now, could it be that something there is what Jesus meant when he said, you must be like a child to inherit the kingdom? There's something about this childlikeness, this ability to wonder with God. Mm, There's something about a child, though, they haven't learned to manage that faith. But look what Willard goes on to say. He says, but, he says, look at this. He says, this is also true of adults in moments of great feeling. There are times where some of us forget that we are managing our face. And as a result, we sh- in these moments of great feeling, we reveal ourselves. And he's saying, that is why feeling, look what he says, that is why feeling, is one reason why feeling is both greatly treasured and also greatly feared. Because it has a way of revealing us. And sometimes we want to play, play it safe. We don't want people to really know us. Because to be known is to be vulnerable. And so one of the things Paul's getting at is learn, don't, be, don't live in fear and in anger. Learn how to live as, as relationally healthy people who love well, who live well. Let's grow to be the true version of ourselves. We don't have to wear masks. We don't have to manipulate. Um, we can work through things. We can learn how to talk and be honest. A lot of people can't talk. And I'm not talking about eloquence at all. I'm just talking about being real. So I just said our feelings. But you know what? It, it is good to be able to share our feelings. I am not feeling driven, but at the same token, you can't, there are times where God wants us to be alive. God made us this way. To, to, we, we were meant to, to laugh and to cry and to rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Jesus wept. He was free to be exactly the model he was meant for us to see. And you know what? You and I, I think one of the gifts of God is to be alive enough to be real. And I'm, and I'm not saying that it, it means that we're not trying to change things or address things and that we're just walking around saying, this is how I feel, this is how I feel, this is how I feel. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I mean, that'll wear people down fast. I get that. I do think it is important, though, that we don't, that if this is true for more of us than others. Okay, some of us, God wants to teach us, I, I think, how to not be so feeling-driven. Because we tend to be volatile. We're, 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 we're extraordinarily up and down. And there are times where a real steadiness is required. Where the real wisdom of God, the love that is wise and discerning and knowledgeable, shows up in our ability to not simply fluctuate with our emotions, but to hold the line as best as we can. Sometimes that's why we need other people speaking into our lives, saying, don't make that. This is not a good time to be making that decision. Others of us, we have a hard time revealing our face and showing our heart. And growth for us is going to look like the softening of our heart and the ability to take risks about being known. That is a gift from God. And for some of us, he wants to move us to along. Again, some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been taught you don't show. You, people who show their feelings get busted. They get hurt. They get taken advantage of. So you don't do it. You guard your face. I maintain to be an authentic, growing person in God, we have to be able to talk and love and, and um, feel and express our feelings and agree to disagree and work through things and not just be stuck, transparent, growing, genuine, real. 
Thirdly, it has to do, and it's connected to this, life shows up in our willingness to choose our responses properly. In other words, it, it has to do with our response patterns. Just stay with me on this one. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Paul is sitting in a jail. He, he, the door does not always swing open. He's there. It's not like, okay, I, I said all the right things, I prayed, so now God, deliver me. He didn't, he's there. He's stuck. He's confined. What's he going to do about it? Is he going to sit and just bemoan his unfortunate situation that God didn't take care of me? Because why should I, doing all this for God, be sitting here locked up with a Roman soldier, not even free to go where I want to go? What kind of God is this? Okay? That, now, the attitude, though, is not that. It's like God's going to use this to be a blessing. And look what he does. He's, see, here's the thing. In our, a lot of times, our love will not always be received. All right? Sometimes it will be rejected. Uh, not always will our kindness be reciprocated. Sometimes it will garner nothing, not even a thank you. That's a hard one, actually, sometimes, because I can tell you that there have been a few times in my life where, you know, I did something, and I was thinking, you know, I guess just a little acknowledgement would go a long way right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's thank you, you know, and I'm getting nothing. It's like, did you, you know, come on, right? (laughs) And nothing. And then you have another issue. Because now I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm mad because you didn't even acknowledge what I did. And, and it's like, come on. And now I have to go back and deal with the Lord about being mad about the good thing that I originally did because you didn't say thank you to me. And so, you know, it becomes, so the point being is a lot of times we don't always get, but we, we, we have expectations. Uh, you know, um, I'm just saying is that a lot of, there are situations that occur when people will not always respond the way we were hoping. Uh, sometimes we will not be appreciated as we think we should be. I, I tell you what, I put this um, bookmark in your handout. I know you need a microscope, you need a magnifying glass. I get it. I understand. Uh, it's not easy to read. L- listen, this is, something, <laughs> this is something that was written. Uh, supposedly, uh, actually, it is for sure. Mother Teresa refers to this a lot, but it wasn't written by her. But check this out, based on what we were talking about. He says, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you, take advantage of you. Be honest and frank anyway. When you spend, what you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may just never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's all between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. It's not always about just what we get back from it. Last thing I'll say, not just in our chosen responses, but also, fourthly and lastly, in our willingness to to hold on and not, not let go and give up. I don't know about you, but you maybe 
I assume most of us uh, are been aware about what happened in, in uh, back there in Florida with the, the athletes who were in the uh, sea boat accident. And uh, that was tragic. And I was reading about it, and uh, one of the things that was, it just very, one of the things that just genuinely caught me was an art, when I was reading an article, I don't know the exact veracity of whether or not what was, was actually happened. And all I can tell you is what I read in the article, and the article quotes the father of the surviving man who was talking about how the friends who died got to a point where it got so bad they just took off their life jackets and floated out to sea. And they just gave up. Now, I have no idea what it would be like to be in that spot. But I know what I felt in my heart. It just, it really hit me. I was just trying to find myself. And I said, I can't imagine it. But you know what? And I'm not trying to belittle what happened. But if I can, there are some of us, if I can just say it this way, that are under enormous pressure. And there's a part of us that just wants to give up and throw off the life jacket and just drift out and just, just forget the whole thing. And I'm going to say, don't do it. I'm going to say, don't do it. I'm going to say that God is there for us, that God is real, that he cares deeply, and that's, that we just need to hold on and trust the Lord. And you know what? Again, I really mean it. To, to, be, to be open to the good thing God wants to do, even in a very difficult, difficult, tragic place. And so what is it that the Lord is trying to say to us about that? So maybe some of us have been thinking about some stuff. And we're about at the end. I don't know if I got anything left. I don't know if I could take one more hit. It's killing me. And in that place... Say, hold on, don't quit, don't give up, don't do I know it, it, you know what, I feel like I need to say it. I need to, sometimes I say it to myself. I say, don't, you know what, trust God. Lord, help me. I pray for your strength to fill my life. Give me courage. Help me not to run. Help me not to be reckless when I'm restless. Help me, Lord, not to take the easy way. I know it's hard. I know there are parts of us want to quit. There are going to be times we want to quit. We want to give up. Forget the whole thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stay with God. God will never forsake us. He will never keep the jacket on. Keep it on. Lord, I pray that as we are here in this, uh, this moment, this time, this, uh, this place of togetherness before you, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, even this song that we're going to close with, which reminds us, Lord, that you know, pride can be the friend that deceives us in the end, that betrays us, because it, it keeps us from you. It keeps us from turning towards you, Lord. Sometimes our pride is our great enemy. Give us the heart of a child, Lord, when it comes to you. To help us, Lord. I, you know, I, and I pray that you would help some of us. This is a, Some of us, I just pray that, Lord, you pour out a deep conviction inside of our soul to hold on. To just stay with it. Hold, not quit. Not, not just throw it off and just drift out to sea. But I pray also, Lord, that you would give some of us the assurance that you will be with us, that you will stay with us, you won't abandon us, even in our failure, Lord. And I also ask that you would keep growing us, even through the pressure places of life, the prison places of life, the places where we find ourselves in confinement, stuck, wondering when is this going to end. Lord, I pray that you will show up for us there as well. I really do. Let your joy fill us in illogical ways at the deepest places. This is what I ask, Lord. 
Help us to be a growing people who learn to trust you in more meaningful ways. Bless our closing song. Let it be a prayer sung over us. And I pray also, Lord, for our, our time to honor you and our giving. May you be glorified there as well, honored there as well. In Jesus' name, we do this the best as we can. In your name, amen. amen.